First question is this, who are the modern-day equivalents of the ancient Bereans? Uh, Well, last week we heard that the Bereans were people in Acts 17 who eagerly listened to Paul's message, who searched the Scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. Uh, Who's a modern-day Berean? It's somebody who loves to sit under the authority of the Word of God and who tests everything else that they hear and see based on the Bible. And I've got to say that I reckon we here are modern-day Bereans. Uh, we love to sit under the Word of God, and you love to ask me tricky questions, and sometimes questions like, are you really sure that is right? Meaning, I don't think it is, and I go away do some further homework. So I appreciate that greatly, because the authority is not me, the authority is the Word of God. Question two. <laughs> if Lydia never heard Paul's message, would she be in heaven? Uh, I like the hypothetical questions. They're always good. Well, in Acts 16, last week we read that Lydia was a merchant of expensive uh, purple cloth who worshipped God. And as she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. It says that she was worshipping God even before she heard Paul's teaching. It's interesting. So she was a a God-fearer, a God-worshipper. But it was only as she heard the apostles' word that we read that the Lord opened her heart. Uh, So really, it was even though she had a respect for God and so on, it was only when she heard the message of Jesus that she became saved. Uh, We we can trust that God is full of mercy and justice and he will judge each person individually. But the point is that the only reason that Paul didn't sit around sunning himself in Tarsus and that he got off a, a boat and went everywhere around telling people about Jesus is because if you don't believe in Jesus, you can't be saved. And so Lydia, uh, she is certainly in heaven because she believed in the Lord Jesus and was saved and the Lord opened her heart. If she wasn't, then if she hadn't heard, then it's, it's up to God and his justice in that particular situation. Question three. If God wants everyone to believe in him, then why does he choose only some people? Well, I don't know. Um, but it's a good question because I wonder it too. But we know God's mercy is is great. And we've got we've got to remember that his goodness is great. And what's more, I don't deserve to be in heaven. I have no I've got nothing I can't walk up to God and say, have a look at my CV. He'd say, Well look, thanks for that. But what about all the pages you left out, all the black marks over it? It's like, yeah, good point. I don't deserve God's mercy. But the wonderful thing is that in his mercy he chose some to be saved and not others. Uh, and we also know that that we have a choice to make. Everyone has that choice. Uh, Some people sort of think, well, I don't feel like God has chosen me, so I don't think I actually want to go and follow him. It's like, well, if you want to follow Jesus, then you are chosen. He has worked in your heart to say, I want to come to Jesus, and you can have that confidence. Uh, Question four, in Acts chapter 16, how did the slave girl predict the future? Well, we're told that she had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. Uh, And a few verses later, it was a demon that possessed her, which... Paul then exorcised from her. So whatever it was, the evil spiritual power in her enabled her to be able to predict the future in some sort of way. Question five. Are people still possessed by spirits and demons like the fortune-telling woman? Uh, Well, yes. Uh, Now, I personally have not seen it. I know others who have, and I think it is. it seems to be a lot more prevalent in other cultures, in other parts of the world. I don't think I've seen anyone possessed with a demon, anything like what the New Testament describes it to be like. But it doesn't mean that the devil is not active in our own Western first world society here. And In, in fact, I, I think the way in which he 
has an effect, uh, such a deep spiritual effect on our nation, uh, happens more up at Stocklands and travel agencies and shoe shops and other th- and and JB Hi-Fi, whatever it is, these things that the material world that that fog our minds and make us focus on the world and not on spiritual realities. And I think that that is a way in which the the the, the devil has a great impact on on things. Some people say that you can be a Christian and also be possessed by the devil. Well, that's not possible. There's only room for one spiritual reality in you. It's either the Holy Spirit or it's the devil. So you're fine if you're a Christian. Don't worry about it. What about being oppressed by demons and so forth? It's not something I've seen. I don't think that it's a, it's a reality that all Christians are in a spiritual warfare. Uh, the very last chapter of the book of Ephesians, in fact, gives us the armour of God that says, put this on, you're in a battle. It's a, the battle is real. Uh, but the good thing is Jesus has conquered the dead. Satan has been defeated. And he runs around trying to make himself out to be much more than he really is. And the day is coming soon when he'll be destroyed for good, thrown into, into hell. Question six. Is it necessary to be baptised? Uh, the short answer is no, because otherwise Jesus couldn't say to the criminal on the cross who turned to him and said, will you, today will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise, uh, unless a truck went past and splashed him or something on the cross. But that didn't happen, I, I jest. But the, nonetheless, what we do know is that in the, in the story of Acts, time and time again, someone comes to know the Lord Jesus and what do they immediately do? They get baptised. It seems to be a natural thing to do because they recognise at that point that by trusting in the Lord Jesus that their sins are forgiven and their their guilt has been washed away. It's a beautiful line in in the Psalms. It talks about how our sins were red as scarlet and now they are white as snow. That is the washing that has happened by the Holy Spirit as we become friends with Jesus. And so the baptism basically says, look, I'm going to show you with water on the outside, what's happened by the Holy Spirit on the inside. The water doesn't cause the inside thing, but it reflects what's happened on the inside. Now, if you've been converted to Christ, if you follow the Lord Jesus and are saved, uh, and you haven't been baptised yet, well, we should do that. It's a great thing to do on the outside to say, I'm now washed by Jesus on the inside. Um, we There are different ways we can do it. We can uh, use the the big stone font down the back, or we can uh, hire in a little pool and we can have full immersion here. Uh, some churches are set up for that. Uh, we we a- Anglicans have just got the, the little splashy thing down there at the back. Uh, or we could go to, a po- go to a pool, or we could go to the beach, or we could go to a river. There's lots of opportunities. At the end of the day, what matters is what's happened in your heart. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. But if you're not baptised, why don't you talk to me? Question seven. Will everyone in the same household be saved? Well, did you see what happened last week? And that is that when Lydia was saved, she said, the whole household's going to be baptised now. And they were. And the same thing with the Philippian jailer. He recognised that Jesus is Lord and he got baptised and the whole family did it at the same time. The whole household. When it talks about household, it's talking about everybody who lived under the roof. So that would have been kids. That would have even been the household servants as well, all together. Uh, the question is, is everybody saved? Well, let me answer it a different way. They're no longer pagan. They're now Christian. It is a Christian household. And that means that... 
still, there's a, there's a reality that when people are able to make a choice to follow Jesus, they need all to make that choice. Any little babies and so on uh, who are in the place at that time being baptised, uh, then you could say, well, they're not at the point where they could make a decision. The decision that has been made for them by their parents and they are under that umbrella, that covenant. Um, but what it does mean is that a whole household is now Christian in the same way, as I said last week, that when the blood of the Passover lamb was put on the door frames of the Exodus, the whole family was saved. And I think that's uh, the case there. Each person needs to be uh, make that personal decision when they are able. And that's why in our church and other churches we have confirmation. Uh, confirmation is not something you'll find in the Bible, but it kind of makes sense that when you have a baptism as a child, you say, well, when you get older, you've got to stand up and say it for yourself. And uh, that, that's a, a great little service to, to reaffirm the promises that were made on the behalf when the, they were a child. Two to come. Nine questions only. Plenty more on the bank. Uh, does the Apostles' Creed include all we need to believe for salvation and thus fellowship? Uh, the Apostles' Creed says lots of things that are essential to the Christian faith, and it was designed, or well, it was written at a time when there were lots of controversies about what was the Christian faith. And in the end, this short statement that we say regularly is a statement that basically, um, we're doing the nice scene, or the, we're doing the, yeah, we're doing one of the creeds today. Um, it's basically a, a summary of key issues related to who God is and what Jesus did. And it sort of drew a line in the sand and said that if you don't believe Jesus is God, then you're not with us. And if you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, then you're not a true Christian. But there are various other things that the Apostles' Creed doesn't actually talk about. It doesn't actually talk about how a person becomes saved. It doesn't say that you're saved by faith, by, by grace through faith in Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't actually talk specifically about how Jesus' death was, a, was where he took the punishment from the Father upon himself as a substitute for us. In technical land, they call that penal punishment, uh, substitutionary, the substitute, atonement, making us right with God. Penal substitutionary atonement isn't actually linked in there in the Apostles' Creed. So it says all the things we do need, but there are other things about how we relate to God that are not clarified there in the Apostles' Creed, but clearly in the Bible. So how do we? So do we have fellowship with other churches who believe the Apostles' Creed, but? Uh, a variant on the other things? Well, yes and no. We, we do have a fellowship with other churches that have this same creed, for example, the Roman Catholics, Greek Orthodox, and so forth. But the fellowship, is it's, it's not to the same extent in terms of what we believe about issues related to personal salvation and, uh, and so forth. Which leads us to the final question. Will traditional Catholics go to heaven? Well, Roman Catholics and Protestants all believe in the Apostles' Creed. And there are so many other things that we have in common with each other. But we do know that about 502 years ago, there was a big split in the church. It was a split between the Protestants and what came to be known as the Roman Catholics. And uh, it wasn't just because some like tea and others like coffee. It was, it was a major issue that saw people dying at the stake because of what really, really mattered. And what was at the heart was how it is that you came to have a relationship with Jesus. And on what basis did God, uh, God accept you? See, there were some horrible teachings at the time in the church, uh, teachings that basically said that the harder you worked for all of your works, the better chance you had of getting into heaven. Uh, you'll know if someone still believes this today because you say, uh, 
when you die and you stand before Jesus, how do you know that he'll let you into your heaven, into his heaven? And if they say, well, it's because I've done this and I've, I've kept most of the commandments most of the time and I've gone to church fairly regularly and I, I've done, I've done, I've done, I've done, then the answer is, no, you've missed the point. It's not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus has done. Uh, the other thing is that uh, there were some terrible things going on in the church at the time. You could pay money to get your dead relatives out of hell. Uh, they had some beautiful churches at the time. You know, They had no problem meeting their budgets. It was a horrible, horrible, horrible doctrine. And so things need to happen in order to, to break away. Now, with all of that in mind, uh, we need to realise that if somebody believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be saved. And there are many people who go along to Roman Catholic churches who do that. They may not understand a lot of the stuff that's happening up the front and all the doctrines and things like that, but they believe in the Lord Jesus and they are saved. Um, and that is a wonderful thing. But if somebody believes deeply all of the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church, as you dig deeper, you'll see that it actually is so dramatically different to what we believe that I think that their salvation is at risk. But that's why we want everybody, everywhere, to know the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are saved by grace, through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast.